0: For the 430 movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is definitive oral history of Star Trek. And Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars. But what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July. They shouldn't have killed this dog. The complete, uncensored, ass kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the new age of action. Coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. Sundays on Electric Now. Tune in to the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast with me, Yael Teagle, and my co-host, Felicia Michelle. Each week, we'll be breaking down another episode of Leverage Redemption. Plus, we've got exclusive interviews with the stars, as well as some games, and we'll even be showing off some amazing fan art. So after you watch Leverage Redemption on IMDb TV, you'll definitely want to join us here to catch all the Easter eggs and behind the scenes fun. The official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast. Sundays on Electric Now. If you like listening to this podcast, you'll love watching us on Electric Now, the free video streaming app featuring video versions of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts, along with full seasons of The Librarians, Leverage, the exclusive Leverage Redemption After Show, as well as Flash Gordon serials, hysterical comedy specials, and much more. Download it today from your favorite app store or watch us on Roku, Stir, DistroTV, Zumo, Sling, or Plex.
1: Welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. And we are coming to you live from the Chattanooga Film Festival. I am your co-host, Josh Miller. And with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How are you doing today, Josh? Oh, I am doing very good. Uh, Live podcast, Chattanooga Film Festival. We are going to be talking about George Romero's Uh, Almost was adaptation of the video game Resident Evil. And we are joined by three excellent guests. Uh, Returning to the podcast, we have champions Mike Mendez and Brian Collins. Hi, guys. Oh, Hi. Uh, Mike is a filmmaker who's made such films as Big Ass Spider, The Convent, and Tales of Halloween. Um, we highly recommend listening to his two-part interview, really all about his whole career, but also ostensibly about his almost-was version of Sleepy Hollow. Uh, Brian, I'm now realizing, was one of our very first guests. He was on an episode talking about John Sayles' script for an aborted attempt to do Jurassic Park 4 uh brian is a critic and creator of the website horror movie a day and its subsequent book uh he also has another book called colin's crypt is that right brian that is correct thank you uh and then i think very relevant joining us is the uh founder is that the correct way you would say it uh, Mr. Chris uh he, that Dorch, is
3: just fine i founder no, of the Chattanooga no hard and Film fast festival requirements <laughs>
1: Um, and maybe just kicking things off since this is uh live from the Chattanooga Film Festival, and we will be uh re-airing this as one of our proper episodes. People can check out Mike and Brian on previous episodes to get more details on them. But why don't you give us a little background on the Chattanooga Film Festival, how it started and all that? Uh, I'm actually stuff. really
3: glad you asked that because I kind of wanted to geek out on Mike just a little bit because okay. this like festival it. began as a pop-up movie theater. I grew up in Chattanooga. Uh and moved to Nashville for about 10 years and took a job at the art house theater up there, the bell court and really grew to love film programming. And uh, when I moved back to Chattanooga, after leaving Nashville, there was a lot happening in the way of the arts. There was fuck all happening. I can curse uh, and, and I, uh, <laughs> Oh yeah. In, in the way of film uh, and especially nothing happening in the world of genre film. So we, so originally started as a pop-up movie theater uh, with a double feature of Repo Man and Return of the Living Dead on nice. a snowy night. And even though Chattanooga never gets snow and people freak the fuck out if it happens, uh, <laughs> people packed the house and it gave us the confidence to keep coming. And uh, we kept doing pop-up screenings. And one of those very first screenings we did, Mike, was Big Ass Spider, which oh, nice. was uh, we, uh, we created a giant spider that like would attack <laughs> the crowd William Castle style. At certain points. And and, uh, I have to also say, uh, Brian, horror movie a day and, and just your your general vibe and kindness toward genre films, especially genre franchises, really informed me as a person, but also very much. The voice of this film festival and kind of the inclusiveness and the warmth for for you know every film that we have uh, the so annual Curse like screening weird honor for me to be on this episode <laughs> yeah. with you guys. When they told me you were the guest, I shit just a little. So oh, thank, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, I
4: said very sad that I've never been there personally. I've I've heard
3: nothing hey, but, but there's still time. Maybe next year. There is still year. time. Let's yeah. So
4: it. there's new stuff right. coming. So so anyway, but but yeah. I was no,
5: confused. I'm actually in Chattanooga right now, and I'm just <laughs> really baffled. It comes in the on. studio yeah. we
1: have
3: beers so <laughs> uh, beers? Um, uh
1: here i am drinking a nice coffee, coffee.
3: Like, yeah this is bullshit
4: but your festival has an amazing reputation for being one of the most fun and exciting and just uh you know great for movie audiences to you know enjoy movies together so always wanted to go always has a great reputation so hopefully i'll, I'll uh, get well to the
3: invite is that. open for every every one of you on this panel anytime please all right
2: sweet Hi. all right
1: yeah, I will say, uh, I guess for listeners not familiar with Chattanooga, um, I, I feel like, uh, you know, one of the many bummers of COVID and why it's nice to see that it did not kill the festival. But prior to COVID, I felt like kind of I kept hearing more and more of people. You know, you see people at Fantastic Fest, Beyond Fest, a lot of these festivals and people are just like, Chattanooga's the next one. Um, in particular, mm-hmm. our buddies, Josh Ethier and Joe Bagos, uh, God, who are also on friends. the podcast doing for uh, commando two great episode but they were like oh man we had a hundred people at our airbnb and we got kicked out and <laughs> yeah, all this stuff and it should them. also be
3: pointed out that uh, dave lawson uh, of rustic films who works with uh, benson and moorhead somehow brought just an absurd amount of fake shit in his suitcase with him and when they got kicked out of that airbnb he I wasn't supposed to know this, but he planted it all throughout that house, and I got a very interesting email several days later. <laughs>
1: wait, wait, was did the like, fest like, pay for that Airbnb? Was that? A... Oh yeah, totally. Oh, so you had <laughs> to like, deal like, with the
3: fest. Definitely paid for that Airbnb in more ways than one. So, wait, yeah I'm, I'm very confused. He had literally had like fake shit, like little plastic he pieces. He had and baggies it. and baggies of like fake, like you know, Spencer's gift style. And shit. Uh, oh.
4: I don't know what he intended. Is, to is do that what he carries it. with uh, him when but, he goes to?
1: <laughs> yeah, just he's like, hey, just in case we ever have a big party at Airbnb, I want to. We're gonna I got a <laughs> Yeah, I want to <laughs> stick it to those snobs.
3: It's this party's awesome. really gonna get to. to
1: yeah, he's level. still he's still trapped in like a early '80s teen comedy (laughs) if i have a friend that is
3: like styles in teen wolf it is is dave lawson for sure if that guy's somewhere surfing on the top of a van not surprised whatsoever
1: (laughs) those lousy snabs um all right so that is uh the context i think we need let's get a little context on uh resident evil here i think we've got a wide spectrum of familiarity With the games, Uh, starting on my end, which is funny now that I seem to uh, make most of my money adapting video games into movies. uh, But basically, once I hit high school, I I would be I became what I would call a very light gamer. I've never played any of the Resident Evil games. Really, all I know about it was I'm guessing it must have been Resident Evil Two because that came out in 1988. Is one of my friends in college? We had a My roommate had a PlayStation, so this other friend would always just come over. He was like our Kramer, and he would always incessantly play Resident Evil 2. And I do remember looking over at it and being like, oh, this game seems cool. It seems like it's actually kind of scary. And then I think, Steve, have you you've played the game a little? Uh, I played the first
2: I played the first one. Uh, yeah, what happened was I was a big gamer growing up. I had all the systems Atari, Coleco, and Genesis, and then I <laughs> held the off systems.
1: Of, Show <laughs> yeah, I
2: held off the PlayStation, and my roommates got it. Then I got it, and then um, my friend worked at the video store, our roommate, and brought it home. Someone sold it to them, and I started playing it, and it was mind blowing. It was like the first time. The graphics at the time were amazing you could walk around this house it was a mind-blowing game i played the second one and i played the fourth one the fourth one actually kind of scared me there's a scene in the first one with glass that scared the shit out of me too and it was kind of a i haven't played them since they came out so i don't i just have vague remembrance but the first game was really mind-blowing when it came out it was pretty amazing and and so on
1: and mike and brian i know you guys played the games you don't really consider yourselves like experts or super fans necessarily right no. I, I got, okay. I had,
4: yeah I the first game on on playstation uh it was exciting at the time because this was a time when there was like oh my god they haven't made zombie shit since the mm-hmm. 70s which obviously how how dated of a statement is that yeah. because now there's <laughs> zombie shit everywhere so uh so it was just super excited that there was a romero like game and it was scary it was atmospheric and it was creepy and it was good and then i think it became a little more interesting all the behind the scenes of the movie being made because romero was attached and then paul w sanderson and so there, i was kind of always keeping an eye on that but i kind of lost track of the game i hear the vr one is great uh which is the i most hear it is one, as well. I yeah.
1: Brian. Oh, he's showing us his uh, oh look Hell at that yeah, my old playstation beautiful yeah. yeah. oh nice so,
5: uh, yeah the, i literally just... i i bought a playstation 1 to play resident evil because it sounded so good uh as i was like you i was not really gaming much at the time when it came out but i was reading fangoria and fangoria had like a review or a write-up or something of it and i'm like this like sounds like the greatest thing ever what is this <laughs> and i'm like is it available on sega genesis because that was like the last system i had at the point. uh and I'm like, alright, I guess I have to look into a PlayStation. And uh, yeah, no, and then I played I played most of the other I have not played the two newer ones. I'm not good at first person. So I haven't really dive I did the demo over like the demos that they put up for those and I'm like, Yep, I still suck at first person. <laughs> uh, but I've played pretty much all the others, either all the way through or a good chunk of the
3: way through. I sucked at the first one. I could, I barely. Oh, the, the, the first the, one the I The controlled didn't beat... camera made it so difficult on you not to suck.
5: Yeah. I finally beat the first one. And I, again, I just show this. I've had this since 1996. I just beat it last year or the year before. Uh, not on this, on the remake version. Because I got to a point on the original where like, I had saved. And I didn't have any more saves. And I'd saved like when I was almost dead, like right before the tyrant <laughs> fight at the end and like i had no health or whatever so like no no i had no herbs um
3: yeah, no herbs. In, yeah, days no really hair, which you have a fucking typewriter ribbon yeah. save in the first <laughs> so place i could
5: never i would just constantly just try over and over again just to like escape that battle without getting hit like the one time i could get hit before i die and i just never could and i'm like i don't have to play this whole game over again because i didn't have enough save i'm like oh, God, i just never did it uh, but when the remake came out, I'm like, I'm gonna finally finish this goddamn game. And you, I tell you, it was an exciting day to see <laughs> that that tyrant go down finally. I was just like, yeah. Uh,
1: and then Chris, I think you are filling in as our resident, uh, well, resident Resident Evil expert, <laughs> as it were. I don't know how much of
3: an expert I am, but I can say that both the films and the movies, I've I've followed along with it. In fact, like my very first paycheck from Blockbuster Video, one of the first jobs I had, I bought my PlayStation copy of Resident Evil and a Butthole Surfers album. And I was like, well, <laughs> this has been good to be employed. You yeah, know, uh, so, and weekend. I've really kind of <laughs> followed the series. And, and I, I have uh, played the two new games, and they're they're absolutely terrifying and really great. And uh, hearing the same things about that VR experience, I, I think it's, it's a world that I still very much love. And I'm glad that it's still as active a fandom as it is.
1: Yeah, and before Steve kind of kicks things off here for us with some background, I did just think it's interesting, especially for any younger viewers, because now it's like zombies are just, you know, it's a thing. It's like vampires, werewolves, whatever. But as Mike, I think, was the one alluding to, it was just like, I was like, wow, as a thing with zombies, you know, <laughs> with this being the late 90s, and that did feel like a novelty. And I just kind of looked up just to make sure I had the days, dates right. And it is kind of interesting to think that, like, Really, other than when George Romero gave up trying to make one of the other movies, he really cared about and would make another Night of the Living Dead franchise movie. There weren't a ton of zombie movies other than Return to the Living Dead, which was, in fact, kind of a, a weird spinoff of the Romero franchise. Uh, up until the Paul W.S. Anderson uh, Resident Evil movie, which was 2002, the same year as 28 Days Later... 2003 is when the first issues of the walking dead comic came out then both Shaun of the dead and dawn of the dead came out in 2004 and it's kind of like since then you know there, there was no turning back now it's just zombies all over the place
3: we're like four uh, walking dead spinoffs deep at this point for sure
1: yeah and it is weird how long it took to like really click in that you could just that anyone could make a zombie movie not just it, Romero there oh, was a, a genuine
4: like 25 year gap you know of just nothing and I remember writing a script in the late 90s and putting in zombies because I thought that was so cool to do a Romero How how novel you know and now it's like <laughs> oh geez who cares you know so so yeah
2: yeah I did a quick count I was curious too because like night live and Dead comes out in 68. And before *Night Live and Dead*, there was like an average of maybe like two zombie movies coming out per year, you know.
3: At some but, point, you have that Trimark *Return of the Living Dead* three, also that had right, like oh, yeah. Clark in it. Uh, and I'm not sure what the what the year on that was, but that had like when that came out, that was the first zombie thing I'd seen come through in a while at that point.
2: Yeah, especially theatrically. Was that yeah. like 1990? 93 maybe. 93. Yeah, early oh, 90s, okay. yeah. But uh, I, I did a quick count. So *Night Live and Dead*. 68. And then in 1972, because of Night of and Living Dead, there was like nine zombie movies released. In 73, there was nine zombie movies. 74, six zombie movies. 75, two. 76, one. And then in 1978, Dawn of the Dead comes out. And then the next year, Fulci's Zombie and another zombie, one. Yeah. Then 1980, 12 zombie movies. 81, <laughs> nine zombie movies. And then 82, seven, 83, four, 84, six, and then 1985, four zombie movies, Warning Sign, Reanimator, Return of Living Dead, Day of the Dead, and then 87, 8, 89, 20, 1996, 91, six. And then as we get into the 90s, we average like five, 90 to 93 is like five, six, and then 94 to 99 is like two, three a year. You know, a lot of them were like indie movies. You had to really. I was going to say, I
1: feel like there's very few iconic movies in there. And also if we're counting yeah. reanimator, yeah. that also sort of more of a Venn diagram of animated corpses versus.
5: I think half of those ones from 1989 were like unlicensed zombie sequels,
3: like yeah. birds and all those <laughs> things. That and then you've got yeah. stuff like cemetery man in there that like, yeah. I'm not yeah. sure where that falls.
2: And then at the, yeah, pl- I'll get to it probably in a bit, but I used to love like towards the end of the nineties, uh, Asia started having like these really cool, like, Zombie movies coming out like Biozombie and Junk oh, Bio-Zombie and Stacy. Was it yeah. at the
5: mall? Yeah, that was gonna be the one at the mall. Yeah, so yeah, was, I think that might have been the first Japanese horror movie I ever watched, actually.
2: Yeah, and then Wild yeah. Zero. There was that was like I think oh, that was Wild all. Zero's be, great. Yeah, Don't and I report. think that's all because of uh, Resident Evil. But we'll we'll get to that. Uh, but like, not
1: those are like proper because I'm trying to remember Cemetery Man because in Cemetery Man, if they bite you, do you become a zombie? So, Cemetery
3: Man is is based on the Dylan Dog uh, comic series. That uh, in 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 the world in the world of the comics, it's a little different. In the book or in the movie, rather, he's the caretaker of a cemetery where I think it's after like seven days, things just wake up. And mm-hmm. rather than lose his job or let the higher ups know, he just sort of fucking whacks them again <laughs> puts them back yeah. in the ground. And that's just. He accepts that as his day to day and it gets, you know, increasingly, you know, more surreal as it goes along. And there's some definite necrophilia and a, 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 a very cuddly disembodied head at one point. So, yeah, it's
1: very dream um, it, uh, Rupert Everett in that movie. Oh my God. Yeah. This pre my friend's
3: best, my best friend's wedding yeah. Rupert. Yeah.
1: Too funny. Um,
2: yeah. I guess, I guess, should we start with like where, where Romero is around this yeah, time gotta period? Yeah, just kind of give us
1: some context, Steve, because it is, you know, it. for those who don't know, you know, I'd say Romero had a very good career in the sense that mm-hmm. he made a lot of well-known horror movies that genre fans love. And obviously Night of the Living Dead, I think, has transcended even being a genre movie and is now just considered like a classic of cinema. Um, but he also had a very, I think, kind of, a frustrating career on his end because he didn't want to keep making zombie movies. But usually whenever he'd make anything else like Night Riders, which is a fucking crazy, great movie, if people haven't seen it, it, there, it would not make any money and <laughs> critics wouldn't like it. Uh, so then he would just have to make some more zombie movies. And that was kind of, you know, we wrote a whole thing for Fangori about his like decade long attempt to do Stephen King's The Stand. Uh, he was supposed to do Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. He was supposed to do mm-hmm. a lot of different Stephen King things that didn't happen. And it it yeah. always felt like he just had to keep doing zombie movies. And so I'm Th- sure he was probably the dark
3: half in there, at least a little bit. Yes. I have some major <laughs> love for that film. Uh, mm-hmm. So
1: it makes sense in kind of a boring way that he's the guy who would have done Resident Evil. But it also you know. Well, I mean, uh,
4: I remember I was actually friendly with him when all this was happening and stuff. So So it was actually kind of a huge opportunity for him because his career wasn't quite, you know, what wasn't you know the world wasn't setting the world on fire or anything with with the stuff he was doing even though it was cool like the dark half and stuff but he hadn't had a hit in a long time and i remember he got hired to do a resident evil commercial uh in japan and i want to say screaming
3: mad george did the effects for it and
1: steve you i think you posted that on our twitter account I't the you? resident
3: evil 2 commercial yeah 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 that's amazing yeah.
4: Yeah. And so that was kind of where I believe from what I recall this is going off memory and it's going off a long time. That's kind of where it all, the Resident Evil thing in him began and Constantine Films approached him. And for him, this was the return to big studio filmmaking. And so it was, a, I know he was very excited about it. And I think this, turned him, uh, you know, and and soured him to all other certainly fast zombies and all the zombie stuff that came afterwards. (laughs) He kind of shit on it, even in the movies. And I think this was kind of the experience that really kind of began that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What kind of dates you got for us here?
2: Oh, yeah, I'll start off. I'll just say he had this insane, solid run of like Night Live and Dead, Martin, Dawn of the Dead, Creepshow and Day of the Dead. And then all of a sudden in You know, he does the dark half and Orion goes bankrupt and it gets shelved. Uh, But even before that, let me say Monkey Shines in 1988. I didn't realize how bad that did. It came in 12th place when it was released. It didn't even make two million. And uh, cocktail was number one at the time. And <laughs> dude, Caddyshack 2 beat it in its
1: second week of release. He <laughs> oh, should have made it about a killer goat. had a Kenny a yeah. song, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, can't,
3: you can't go wrong with go. the Kenny man. Kenny brings the audience yeah. with him.
4: Yeah, yeah. Look, look out for Jackie Mason. He's a, he's a <laughs> oh,
2: God. You know, I saw This way, uh, way go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I saw that opening night Caddyshack too, and dude, the oh, was theater it? was going insanely. I was laughing so
1: hard too. I thought it was the funniest movie yeah. I ever saw. Yeah, I must have been like, I was. Oh, that—that that is my earliest memory. Because you know, when you're a kid, you kind of basically like everything. Is just that's one of my I, earliest. I still basically. That was one of my <laughs> earliest memories with like a sequel, where I was like, I feel like this wasn't as good as the other Caddyshack, even as a child. I, I, I yeah. It wasn't quite
3: there. I yeah, don't it,
4: remember liking it, but it's amazing how much bullshit of it is still in my head. How sometimes,
5: for no reason, I will go,
4: Mrs. Estherhouse. Oh, <laughs> is that Dan Aykroyd's <laughs> character? Such a weird character. Also, oh so my God!
5: Somewhere you <laughs> are in all Fonza you're a Fonza
4: Nude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The term Fonza Nude, who I believe is someone who farts in a bathtub and smelled the bubbles, yeah. <laughs> Fonza Dude. This will I will take to my grave. I don't know why. So, oh, anyway. dude, there's the power scene, of great theme song.
2: Dude, the same cool. when a dude goes down the water slide and there's no water. I'm telling yeah. you, dude, the theater was going bananas. It was the funniest <laughs> thing. And you watch it again, you're like, oh my god, how did I think this was funny? This movie. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, that's 1988. Monkey shines, um, and then two evil eyes and uh, com- and uh, the dark half gets released in 93 and Dark Half was shelved and it might have just come out at the wrong time. But when that when that shit comes out again, it it debuts in sixth place and it it only made three million opening weekend and uh, Indecent Proposal was number one at the time. And it, that was already out for three weeks. Also, what's crazy is number two was that Ed the uh, MTV Raps movie with Ed Lover. And- uh, who's the Who's the
3: man, right?
1: Yeah, fucking yeah. House of Pain right.
3: fucking beats them. I At number two that
1: movie even existed. Wow, I had
3: that soundtrack on cassette.
1: Yeah, that was a, everyone was
2: in that movie, right? Every rapper, Dennis Leary's hilarious. Yeah,
3: it was. Now, it was really. literally like Yo MTV Raps in the motion picture. You're so right.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Ted Demi, I think directed it,
3: right? <laughs> Ted Demi did direct it.
2: Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So that was number, that beat the dark half. But like I said, I think it just came out at the wrong time and people, you know, if it would have came out originally, I think a few years earlier, I think it would have done much better. And, uh, and so that brings us up to where Romero is at the time. And well, he I, want, gets, I want
4: to say, was it bruiser in there or like, right. right Cause that Bruiser's was
2: your kind of independent 2000. Yeah,
3: yeah, right, I, yeah. I I thought it is it 2000 like, on the nose.
5: After getting dropped from. Right. Right. Did, okay. did Bruiser yeah. go
3: theatrical at all? Because I'd only ever discovered. Not really. Now I think right. I remember right. renting it at a Blockbuster. Or something. Yeah, that's yeah. that's my.
1: Yeah, but I gotta say, as someone who grew up in you know a suburb in Minnesota, there's all these like. A, Whether or not it had a theatrical release also usually meant it was just in L.A. and New York. So that was meaningless to me. Unless it was playing at uh, the mall, it did not go theatrical.
4: (laughs) The good news for George, and this is jumping ahead, is that Land of the Dead kind of filled the the slot that Resident Evil was going to fill in his life. The big studio kind of comeback. So Mm -hmm. I'm happy that George got that opportunity to do that. So that was great.
2: Oh, a hundred percent, yeah. No, because when you Dennis look at
3: it, his... and John Leguizamo chewing, chewing scenery in it, no less.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. with the machine oh. gun. Dude, if you look, oh, yeah.
3: if you look close, they
2: both have knives and forks in their hands because they're fucking definitely <laughs> chewing up. They're amazing in that movie, man.
3: They really are.
2: Yeah. The, but 94 is when he gets on board the mummy that doesn't last. I mean, I'm not going to go through every unmade Romero movie from the 90s. That could be its uh, own a
1: podcast. Lot. It's, <laughs> it's, it's insane. I will say people yeah. should listen to our uh, we we talk about his version of the mummy with Mick Garris as a previous episode. People want to know more. Yeah. And it sucks because he left the mummy to do another
2: project, which fell apart, you know, and that's. Kind of that's according to Mick Garrison. uh in fantastic. Uh, but okay, nineteen ninety six. Um, we're gonna move there, and that's when Resident Evil's released in America. In Japan, it comes out as Biohazard, but it can't get released as Biohazard because of that uh, New York hardcore band Biohazard. You guys, are Biohazard fans? No.
3: Okay.
1: Oh. They had the song. Chris is. Christmas? Oh, I'm not a fan.
3: Yeah, no? I, I'm aware of the band. I actually dated a girl that had a really terrifying backstage experience with Biohazard. So oh, they're, really? on a, wow. yeah, they're on, yeah, they're on a very creepy list for me. Uh, oh no. Yeah.
2: Yeah, they kind of got root. I mean, I used to like them because they were like tough guy New York band. And they always said the name of their band and where they were from. They had that song Five Blocks to the Subway about getting to the subway without getting beat up. And then when you make it to the subway, you got to keep your back to the wall. You get thrown onto the tracks. Their shit was hard. And then he he started dating Tara Patrick, one of the dudes, and it ruined her. Anyway, all right, biohazard. (laughs)
1: Enough
3: biohazard.
2: (laughs) Enough (laughs) of biohazard. All right, then March 1996, Resident Evil comes out. And uh, released in America as a game and becomes this big, big hit. And then we're going to jump to 1997 and January 1997 officially gets announced that Constantine Film acquires the rights to Resident Evil. And they did uh, the never ending story, the Sean Connery movie, Name of the Rose.
1: And good movie. Um, yeah. For a second, I, I thought you were it. saying that Never Ending Story was a Sean Connery. Movie. <laughs> yeah, the Sean yeah, Connery. He played, could have played you know, Falcor. Oh, I'm
4: a, yeah. a luck Dragon. Yeah. They <laughs> fired him from that,
1: and that you was why he made the, the marks, movie Dragonheart. True story. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I Lockers. am the last one. <laughs> <laughs> That's, <Shreem>.
2: That's... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And they have attached as a writer, uh, Alan B. Uh, Mick Elroy. He wrote Halloween Four, Rapid Fire, which is. Which is a yeah, cool Rapid Brandon Fire, Lee.
3: The, the Brandon Lee Rapid Fire. Yeah.
2: yeah. And oh, then he created
1: doing. a wrong turn. Yes.
2: yes. And he oh, did wow. okay. the left, the first left behind movie. And he did Spawn. I he think did that's the first what...
1: left behind movie. <laughs> yeah, he wrote did that. And Spawn.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's. Uh, the little the, heaven the, and hell that's nice.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah the man likes balance
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was like how tom cruise did top gun and then he did born on the fourth of july yeah, they <laughs> balance it out
3: the american dichotomy Thanks,
2: tom. <laughs> uh the budget was going to be 30 million 30 million and they were going to suspect to shoot in 1997 and um at the same time constantine was working on the Fantastic Four movie that Chris Columbus was going to direct uh, a silver the, surfer
3: movie ended up being the Josh Trank one that he uh, as well. I don't I can't remember.
2: They were on board for all the Fantastic Fours. Yeah. I think they were even part of the Corman one. Wow. Okay. Wait, yeah, Steve, I, I was
1: gonna ask. we don't have the McElroy script, right? No. Okay. yeah. I
2: I couldn't track that one down, unfortunately. One of
1: our uh, Instagram followers sent me some photos of the first five pages of that script because it's at the Romero archive. Yes. In Pennsylvania. But it it doesn't seem like there's a PDF floating around. If anyone has one, though, hit us up. We'd like to read it.
2: Yeah, I couldn't find it. Um, And Constantine was also back in 95. They had Paul Anderson right after he made Mortal Kombat attached to the stars, my destination, which didn't happen. And they were ready to give him 40 million to do that back in 95. So that's a little, you know, so they already had a connection with him not to jump ahead. And then sure. April, April, May 97, Romero, uh, Romero announced Bruiser. Um, May 97, um, he handed in his first draft, Alan. Mech elroy of uh resident evil um also that same time october and then around late september early october 1997 is when george romero starts shooting the um resident evil commercial for japan that was just recently discussed and so Capcom hired him and it was like after five years abstinence george romero came in to shoot the commercial and he basically wanted to produce it like a movie instead of a commercial shoot so he had his she shot it like in downtown la at a abandoned jail and as mike said the awesome screaming mad george co-director of the guyver was the special effects artist and uh because i don't believe savini wasn't available so he used screaming mad george and so story goes that Capcom was impressed with his work and that's when they started leaning towards him to direct the movie um, It was a Fangoria article written on set of that of that commercial shoot. And he kind of said something like he already knew they were going to make a movie and he was hoping that the commercial would impress them too to see how he would shoot this, you know, to keep him keep him in, in mind. And so. Eventually, yeah, Capcom comes around and they're like, yeah, you can direct the movie and write and direct. And uh, he had his assistant uh, set up a video camera and shot the shot video of his assistant playing Resident Evil. And then um, six weeks later, he handed in the script. Um, in 1998, uh, January, Resident Evil 2 was released. And to go to, and then October 1988, this is where we can get into Romero's first draft of the script.
1: I was gonna say, uh, if he'd really had the foresight, he should have put that video of his assistant oh. playing the game online. He could have gotten a drop on the whole <laughs> watching other people play That's video games. He invented discreet.
5: the Let's Play. Good for yeah. well, hey, you. I also, trying, I also found just... that. my oh, uh, shit! I bought that the... at, a, at a convention like in nine, you know, probably '99. Oh, no. I guess Brian is this holding is up the October actual seven physical script. Yeah. So is
2: that the first draft?
5: Yeah, I, think, I, I mean, it's the only one I've ever seen. I don't know if he ever yeah, wrote a sweet. second draft. Yeah. So that, wait, does that, he he wrote that the
1: like one that stated October 7th, 1980? October 7th, yeah. Yeah. What's
4: funny is, is while I was reading the script, all I was thinking of, because, you know, the, he does pinpoint a lot of stuff that's in the game. And I'm like, I cannot picture him playing this. I bet he had his assistant do it because I just can't picture him going like, ah, the, the spawn point takes me all the way back to the beginning of the
3: level. Well, I got
5: I mean, to do the whole I mean, thing. I, just, I, hey. I, I opened up the, uh, the instruction manual and saving is two pages. Wow. It takes two God. pages to explain how to save in this goddamn game. Yeah, That's how like, I, funky I, it is. I so, forgotten that, of
3: those pages I've
1: too forgotten that really PlayStation 1 games just came in a straight up CD jewel case. Yeah, well, they had
5: originally they had the, these, uh, these bigger ones that were about mm-hmm. DVD, maybe even a little bigger, and they're thicker, certainly. Uh, but they were taking up too much shelf space. Oh. And so. They replaced them with the jewel case, but the the bigger ones kind of like kind of like big box VHS. They're kind of like collectors' yeah. items. And I did have that one at some point. I don't know it went, why I probably use like I want the jewel case. It's it's you know, it's smaller. So this is actually my second copy because I definitely had the, the bigger one at one point. Oh, well.
1: yeah, I've, I've only seen those first five pages that our listener sent of the McElroy script, which seemed like is not the same as the opening of the script we have, so I have no idea how, how similar that draft is to the one Romero did. Oh. It seems possibly like he just threw it out.
2: Well, it looks like PSM wrote an article about it in June 1998 and they said you know it starts off with a disturbance in raccoon city uh, strange animals are mutating campers and park rangers a swat team is sent in and quickly killed and then the government recruits Wesker from an asylum and he brings in Valentine <laughs> and Redfield And they had a little blurb of memorable scenes, which is members seek their way across a room filled with corpses that might be zombies. A giant spider corners the team when they run out of ammo with zombies about to burst in. A team (laughs) members get trapped in a service elevator where they're surrounded by mutated hornets. And there's a Jill Valentine shower scene. And that's all. All Okay. Well, none
1: of that's in the Romero
2: script. So. And I guess there's a giant wasp scene also in it.
1: Huh?
5: The, spite, um, the giant spiders are in the game. Most of that other stuff is not that I, yeah. I don't remember Hornets.
4: I think that was my uh, biggest thing with the uh, I'm sure we'll get into it in a moment here, but that was my biggest thing I was most impressed was that it actually felt like, oh, he's actually doing the game. That's, that's yeah, cool. yeah, no, there's very yeah, few gonna, deviations. The only filmmaker that I've seen actually try to do that, by the way. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, because it is, you know, again, because I didn't play the games really. I just remember when the Paul, Paul W.S. Anderson movie came out even though it did well. I remember my friends who liked the game were kind of just like, I don't, he didn't do like anything really from like well, Mila no, Jovich's characters completely I, I, made up. Are the dogs the in there? But that, that's not even the, the dogs. Yeah, that was dogs
5: it. The liquor. The liquor. Yeah.
1: My
4: yeah. big thing is there. there's no residents in the Resident Evil and that, <laughs> yeah. that actually happens yeah. in this one which was actually like, oh wow,
3: okay, I much would have reacted <laughs> much better. She basically at. wakes up there takes a shower and then they're like, come on. The You're action right. is yeah. elsewhere.
5: You see the house like at the very end of the movie. Like it turns out, like the whole base is like under the house. So you see them like literally run through like one hallway.
2: Yeah, I guess we could get to that a little bit later. His thing. Because I guess he, I mean, I guess we can maybe talk about his approach. Because his approach with her was using Alice as the character versus Jill Valentine. Jill Valentine, he thought if I make her the lead, people are going to know she's not going to die. But to create this character that's not in the game, as she wakes up, you're supposed to be the player waking up with her and journeying through this whole thing with her as as you're playing her. And you don't know anything like she. I doesn't mean, she's know. still the
1: main character still. So I still assume she's not going to die. I don't know well, that. that, that then
4: what does the uh, W.S. stand for? I always assume it's William Shakespeare. That's that's what I like okay. to call it. Uh, all William Shakespeare, Shakespeare I'm, Anderson. I'm actually a, I'm actually a fan. I mean, I, I was I, kind I'm of...
3: a fan as well. I, 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 really I like yeah. Soldier,
4: but for all the wrong reasons, I think it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> uh, I, I think Resident Evil's is all right. Uh, and funny enough, I think his death race is OK. That, that, I
3: like that one, too. Yeah. That's all I got for him. Other than that, I'm, I'm a well, I think it was his fast first fast film shopping. I think is really yeah. fun where people yeah. are like driving cars through stores. Blues Brothers style. Well, uh, I do yeah, always stick and, up for. Uh, I think Red Horizon's got some some great things. No, Red yeah.
1: Horizon's cool. I always stick with them too because after the first Sonic the Hedgehog came out, people are like, "Oh, you made the first successful video game movie," and I'm like, "It's not even remotely true." First of all, Detective Pikachu. Also, did well, and that was like the year before. I think if you factor in inflation, the first Tomb Raider movies still probably. But, but, most but successful. hold on,
4: and, and not to blow smoke up your ass here, but when, I'm ta- when they say successful video game, not only financial successful, but watchable that you can make it from the beginning to the end. And did the fans of out. that
3: franchise import? Yeah. Like, I,
4: think, I think Sonic is the first one of those. Uh, I'm just saying,
1: Paul he, he made Mortal Kombat, which was a hit, the, the mm-hmm. 90s one. I don't then, think
4: it's a good movie. The, I think Sonic's a better
1: film. So what I did not know, because I, you know, usually don't look at like global box office numbers. Um, now I do because I'm always like, How much money is Sonic 2 making? <laughs> I was unaware of the fact, uh, and pardon our listeners, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I don't know if you guys know. So they made six uh WS Anderson uh Resident Evil movies. Each one of those made more money than the previous one. They're like Lord of the Rings movies, so, and this we got some sixth,
3: Russell Mulcahy in the middle there. The too. sixth yeah. He doesn't yeah. Even one, do them yeah, yeah. The, si-
1: the sixth one, whatever one that that's called, uh, final chapter. chapter. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, that is like one of the highest grossing video game movies of all time globally. It only yeah. made like twenty here, and then it made like almost four hundred worldwide. Yeah. It's it's interesting.
4: But they're all pretty yeah. terrible so you know so they have that in common
2: so, yeah. <laughs> i like them actually i mean
1: really
4: uh, I like yeah mike,
3: i love them i don't disagree with mike either i like, five. I like the first one the first which one, is the one.
1: i uh i'd only seen like the first one in theaters and then i never saw any of them and then steve were you part of that uh yeah somebody's like uh, we, we watched all six of them yeah. in like two days so they yeah. kind of yeah. blur together like, with yourself
2: afterwards they only, they do. I, have, I was the only one defending them I have
1: a high. I like, <laughs> I like.
5: I like most of them. I don't like uh, the last one. I didn't like too much. But five, I think, is like legitimately. I, like is that the solid, one that begins like, like, with something Fumble. special about it for
1: sure? Is
3: that,
5: that the, the one that begins, begins one? with
1: a zillion clones of Mila? Afterlife.
5: I, that's four. Four. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, the subtitles. I'm not good with. Four is the the clones. So it's like that's Resident better,
3: Evil, that. Apocalypse, Extinction, mm-hmm. Extinction, and now. Well, I've then it's either Afterlife or Retribution. Those I mean, are the ones yeah, I get. It definitely brings up the point
1: of why you just just number sequels. It makes it so much easier. To- final yeah. Chapter is easy
5: because it's no six. Final Chapter.
1: I also took offense to the fact
4: that basically each one was just another rip off of another movie. So like the second oh, yeah. one is like the Escape from New York one. Then you get the yeah. Mad Max one, mm-hmm. and it just kind of goes from then. Then it just kind of gets you Matrix know. Oh, and then more. Yeah.
5: Oh, absolutely. Yep. He loves his Matrix shit.
4: I right. will
1: say I think they maybe are better if you like binge watch them because they're really weird. Like clearly they yeah. are to, not to me good now. There's almost like the that. Games, it's like the but... great
3: love story of Mila and Paul. So it's like he's <laughs> yeah. he's continuing to cast his wife as his muse and, and like letting her lead this franchise with him. So I kind of I, I'm charmed by that aspect of it as well.
1: They're very like, strange movies.
5: Eventually yeah. they do work the other game characters in almost like it's almost like he has a checklist. And then, like, in part five, he's like, all right, who's left? Who haven't we got to yet? So they kind of throw almost everybody Ada. in that one. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, like, and they're just like, I mean, the guy the guy that plays Leon is like a dead ringer for the video game, which is really creepy. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's like it's clear that Mike like, Epps in there somebody,
1: just for that little <laughs> yeah, yeah. comic relief. Somebody at
5: Capcom was like, for Christ's sake, will you please put in Jill? Will you please put in this person? Will you please put in Ada Wong? Would you please put in Barry? You know? In barry the... was good barry was uh, kevin durant who's always a fun guy to watch
1: in the games that's something i was going to ask and maybe we should start getting into the script itself here so whenever i came across like a character i would just quickly google it to see if it had its own like resident evil wiki oh, yeah. page and yeah. i was like i oh, was so clearly this is like this is kind of following the game because every character is from the games how many playable characters are there in the games though are most of these characters just kind of Part of the background and cutscenes. Well, it it does depend
3: because some of them they've even gone and done these little, you know. There's things like Code Veronica where you get a little more of like Claire Redfield or Jill, you know, these kind of flights of fancy. They took off the main series even. So, like in the main games, like for example, uh, they just did this remake of Resident Evil Two, and. You can start that campaign as either Jill or I think Leon. Yeah, so it's it's uh it's it's a lot more playable characters than it was when they originally came out for sure.
1: But can you play as Knuckles the Echidna? Like
3: three? <laughs> no, ah. They have blast processing
1: involved. <laughs> in the... Um. All right. So the script we have. Wait, Steve, did you have any more context leading up to the script you wanted to give? Um. I mean. I guess we can start.
2: I mean, actually, I, I went a little bit out of. um. I mean, I can touch on the rest of the stuff afterwards because it's, right, like it after, cr- it's not like it's not the craziest. Uh Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah,
1: because the script is by Romero and Peter Grunwald, who I discovered uh, his Peter Grunwald's dad was the editor in chief of Time magazine. Uh, oh. But he it seems like most of his credits are not writing. They're all producing credits and he produced uh monkey shines bruiser land of the dead dire of the dead and survival of the dead with ramiro so thanks bud yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but so this right you you guys all read it this is seems like it's pretty faithful to the games i think it's, it's one of those interesting things uh to like you know dial your mind back to what it would have been like especially for someone like me who had not played the games if this had come out in 1998 or 99 this would have been mind-blowingly awesome
4: i, I was surprised uh, how much i liked it i was kind of prepped for it to be kind of cheesy and don't get me wrong that's especially in, in the setup scenes when we we, we learn uh, chris redfield is is part mohawk indian and yeah, on a spare so. time uh <laughs> scouts eagles you know yes there's a little bit of cheese ballness to, to it but once it gets going i, I thought it was a lot of fun
3: I yeah know, I had a time with well
1: it. it's uh i don't know what you guys thought of the the newest resident evil i
3: I actually liked it but it's it's hilarious that that's the closest to the fans getting what they wanted in that actual adaptation was, and it did very poorly. Like did it, poorly, it, and, it's,
4: and it's
3: I think it By the, one. the way, it has this post credit scene where, like, Ada Wong gets brought in in a big reveal. Like, we were like, oh, shit, it's Ada. <laughs> so, <laughs> and
5: it has uh, the origin of Wesker's sunglasses, which I thought yes, was pretty funny. That's funny. <laughs> she's like, ah, um, like, oh, hold on, I have something for you. Hang on. I, mean, I also <laughs> enjoyed like, the movie. Sunglasses.
1: I also enjoyed the new one, but it had the problem, though, that we've now lived through... Twenty plus years of all the movies that were influenced by Resident right. Evil, so it kind of you know it was the same problem that the John Carter of Mars movie had when it finally came out. It's just like this John Carter of Mars, people have been ripping it off for a hundred years. So like you see the movie now, and it's kind of you're just like I feel like I've seen all like fighting in a gladiatorial alien ring, you know. But but again if this had come out before everyone had been ripping off the resident evil stuff, it would have been awesome. Oh, would
0: have been, been awesome.
1: crazy.
4: This would, um, this would have been so much better than the Paul W. S. Anderson. I feel, you know, oh, I, I agree I,
2: too. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. This is,
1: um, but just kind of walking through this and feel free to interject anything at any point here. Um, I'm just, I'm just stumbling through my notes, but yeah. So it begins with Dr. John Marcus, who I assume is from the games, little prologue thing of like a, bunch of military guys and boardroom big wicks watching like a live stream of him clearly from a lab where everything's going wrong being like stay away from here the lab must rest remain sealed and obviously that's not going to happen uh, and then we cut to what uh mendez was alluding to chris redfield who uh in this is a mohawk indian but i'm guessing not in the games
4: um, i think he's just joke. part mohawk indian that's just the, the tracker in him that. yeah <laughs>
1: uh and got uh to yeah explain
3: it somehow exactly.
1: and we learn in this we learned it so he's he's feeding trout to eagles that he's that one named one does goliath <laughs> and cleopatra uh and there's you know the, he notices something mysterious take one of the trout like while his back is turned some kind of creature or whatever um but we also learn when he goes back home and gets into bed with Jill Valentine, who's sleeping, that apparently his like routine is that he gets up super early and goes fishing for trout to then hey, feed to feed the eagles. I just like the extra step that it's not that he's not that he goes and feeds eagles first. He has <laughs> to successfully catch a bunch of wild trout.
3: caught trout. No, I'm like, this is the a, best this for guy's gotta, eagles. the eagles. The
1: eagles can't, can't really do that, that themselves. But Jill holds a secret, too, though. Yes. <laughs> yes which we will get to will um, but you know but as Mike said this this is all very cheesy but it, admittedly it's the kind of cheesy I like and especially was, in like Romero was, horror movies kind of a like
3: little bit of like yeah, John well, Carpenter banter,
1: I like this script I feel is like the dialogue is good for the most part like yeah. I like their their kind of cheesy couple was- of banter
4: it was apropos for the time. It was kind of in the, the same kind of time era as like The Rock or something like that. So like the, the, mm. the kind of relationship stuff felt kind of like 90s action movie kind of relationship.
1: That's true. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. is kind of like The Rock. Um. The thing with the opening that I think
5: was weird is that Chris was not part of Stars, And that I think was a weird decision on his part because the game, I mean, it wouldn't mean anything to people that hadn't played the game, but for the gamers that would have been like, what the hell's happening? Like right off the bat, he does this huge change where Chris, the hero of the game, who's like Jill's equal, you know, in the stars unit uh, is, you know, has, doesn't even know what stars is. Like he doesn't even know. He's not even aware where she works.
1: Yeah. And this and I thought that was an odd
5: decision Yeah, and to, this, to, and the, to the, kick this things script. off. Usually it seems smarter to like, start with familiarity and get us on board and then kind of branch out rather than like you know uh, kind of confuse us from the start and then you know but like the last scene in the script the last you know the big the, the climax is almost identical to the game but like the specifics of getting there were very different
1: I'm there's if a lot of conveniences
5: said... a lot of conveniences
1: in the yeah. script yeah i'm wondering if he just felt like he didn't want you know, he didn't want to make Aliens or Predator yeah. where like everyone is kind of... I mean, the funny thing, though, is Chris is so like capable and badass that yeah. he might as well have been a soldier, oh, yeah, yeah. but after a did, while,
5: like there's no difference, yeah. He, he did freely like, but borrow I mean, him. like we were talking, somebody mentioned earlier about, you know, the Mia character and uh, and, and the Paul Anderson ones that, um you know, the, we need like an audience surrogate to be like, okay, like, you know... You know, she doesn't know anything that's going on. We don't know anything. So it's like almost like Chris has to fill that role a little bit of like the outsider who, you know, the stars people can occasionally like feel like, oh, you know, this is what we do. and This is what stars stands for, you know, whatever the hell. Um, But I don't think you need that for this sort of thing because it's literally just guys shooting zombies after a while. (laughs) I think we get the context.
1: Uh, and uh well and speaking of context we're already talking about like just um, imagining that this came out before resident evil and 28 days later um and again especially if you weren't somebody who played the game and i I like the way that this is described because i almost feel like it's it's romero being like yeah i'm upgrading what zombies are like is our kind of first zombie scene which is all done almost like sam raimi evil dead From the pov of the zombie we never see it but it's a zombie attacking a farmer friend named rake he's one of chris's friends but it's described as wide shot of rake and of the frightened animals from 200 yards away then the camera moves in slowly at first then gaining speed extraordinary speed he's kind of highlighting like oh shit this zombie can run uh which again now does not barely feels like a novelty uh but yeah, in the beginning of the story, the big twist that uh, uh someone was already alluding to is that we find out that Jill, Chris's new girlfriend, is a member of these like you know mercenaries who are being called in. She has a well, secret
4: closet. Yes, she, she does a have secret a secret closet, closet of arms. Yeah, she types
1: <laughs> she types numbers into a keypad. A secret panel opens, revealing a closet within a closet. Chris never wondered
5: why she had a keypad on her closet, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's not snooping respecting your space because chris is our he one like, he
5: didn't like he's it. focused on the trout chris is our yeah, yeah. one
1: raccoon city local here
2: yeah.
1: uh jill is i think they kind of note is new and we find out that this was part of her like cover although the way the way she says it later when chris finds out is though her cover was to date him but i think she's right know. yeah, but yeah that very was, weird. i don't think that's what they meant i think the cover <laughs> was just that she's a normal person but yeah military dudes are flying in uh evacuating people um, but, but actually before the military, the full squad comes in, Jill has her own little squad who's goes into the forest and they just kind of immediately get attacked. Then we cut away to, uh, Wesker, and it, there's almost so many characters here. I kind of stopped writing them down because I'm just like, Are all these characters important? But mostly they're just there to get well, there, there. Was killed, Vasquez, but...
5: Hudson, uh, Drake. I forget the other one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, uh, oh, yeah. The, the character he, he definitely created Hicks. a character in yeah, Rodriguez was uh... basically Vasquez. It's the exact same. shit. I, I just felt that yeah. whole
4: thing, that whole squad was well, just the added But
5: most streets. of our character names from the mm-hmm. game, like they you know, they weren't big parts, but like Forrest and some of the Brad, I think. Yeah, sure. Richard I Aiken, like, you'd Kenneth Rullivan, Rosie
1: Rodriguez, forest Spire. forest Spire is listed as a wiry Willem Defoe type. In yeah. my
4: notes, I just wrote Space Marines for any scene that they're in because that, yeah. that kind of covers <laughs> it. it like, yeah, she hangs out with the Space Marines.
1: Yeah. Uh but yeah, West mm-hmm. like Wesker has a relevant relationship with a guy named Barry Burton, where like they keep talking about like I owe you one. I told you, you know, I haven't paid you back yet, or whatever. That I guess becomes back, more relevant uh as we get in d- deeper um yeah chris that was already super crazy badass which i mean it you know, would have been cool if it's like as long as they didn't cast a white guy which i don't think romero would have done he was usually cool about that that's who they cast yeah. for chris but they definitely lean on the idea that he's just super badass because he's part mohawk uh because when he's getting evacuated or the troopers are evacuating raccoon city and he just immediately kicks one of the soldiers in the balls and then like runs away while they're shooting at him. And I'm like, wow, they really got off to like a first blood uh, beginning here for our (laughs) quote unquote, every man. Um, But I mean, you know, following the game, then again, it's just funny because They've ripped off the game and the Resident Evil movie so much. So it's a pretty standard format of they get to the Akeley mansion or whatever it's called. And there's kind of the phase where they're just exploring this derelict mansion before opening the secret passages to get down to the lab underneath. Extra weird is the idea that Chris, it is revealed. And I was confused at first (laughs) because I was
4: very confused by this. This made no sense. And this (laughs) is, I
1: was confused by watching the newest movie, which I guess is faithful, but the idea of like kids who grew up in like an orphanage run by the Umbrella Corporation. So Chris knows how to move around the house. So I'm like, oh, he's part of the, like, orphanage. But then later they reveal it was just that this house has always been here because it was built by a bootlegger a zillion years ago. And the <laughs> Umbrella Corporation bought it and built a base underneath. So he, as a kid, would break in and play in the abandoned house. But before there was ever a secret lab. So it's yeah. like he knows where secret passages. I mean, it's kind of a fun idea, I guess. But it's also a little confusing. But it's the it's idea super that,
4: convenient. that it's super he convenient. knows.
1: He knows secret passages that the bootlegger built, not umbrella. So he has like (laughs) an extra layer of knowledge, even on top of like Wesker and the other. Yeah again that's like, kind of like know, the rock
5: there. thing coming back where it's like mason's like oh I'll, I, I can teach you how to get through all the tunnels and shit. i, I escaped here so i know how I, the, the, you know what, what door to go through and how to, how to get through that thing and blah 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 a little more and, of an alien parallel that, you're the
3: only one you yeah. gotta go back oh yeah that's <laughs> really it's, I felt weird. Aliens and it's was weird a massive that they up influence using of that story. idea
5: they ended up stealing that idea from romero because that's not part of the game at all uh in the new in the welcome to raccoon city um Resident Evil movie. that, that I, I'm blank on his name. The guy that did Strangers Too, uh, oh, Johannes Ron. Roberts. sir uh, thank you. Uh, that came into it, and re- you know, I hadn't read the script since I bought it, which was like 20 something years ago. Uh, and as I was rereading it, I was like, oh shit! Like they ended up like <laughs> using that idea, kind of like because like in that one, you know, Chris and uh, was it Chris and Claire? Claire. Yeah. Uh, were you know at the orphanage, and it was like. There's like a tunnel that connects the orphanage to the the the, the she, mansion or something. Yeah, friend. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so they they're familiar with it because of all yeah. <laughs> um so uh yeah, it's like you yeah, know, it's like the Jodorowsky's Doom thing, you know. It's just like <laughs> the, the ideas will we'll find on. a way, you know, a we'll, little we'll cherry pick from whatever unmade thing happened and we'll get it out there somewhere.
2: Yeah, there's a set piece in this movie that Anderson uses in his movie somewhat too. The yeah the
5: lasers yeah. Yeah, the yeah. lasers are not in the game that i remember Maybe yeah the sequels but i mean he only had uh, so this is 98 so they only had the first two games so
4: i don't mm-hmm. recall the lasers being either i remember
5: that was one of the best sequences in the in the movie i
4: recall yeah. that of the dogs uh so yeah.
1: yeah it had kind of it had a certain cube quality to <laughs> right, it yeah uh, totally yeah but so this it, it, I almost would have liked more of it, but I get, you know, you want to get to the underground lab stuff. So, but there's this brief phase where they're in the mansion where it's Wesker and his guys. We reveal that Jill had survived that initial attack on her smaller troop. And so she's somewhere in the house on her own. And Chris is also in the, in the house on his own. And then they all kind of collide and form one big glob that moves through the house and gets, you know, picked off one by one. You know, there's a lot of interesting little set pieces that I don't know that there's and reason to highlight them that, again, would have been cool at the time and now well, feel the,
4: there are a some bit more definitely worth worth highlighting. Uh, zombie sharks appear oh, in I, this. I meant, uh,
1: I meant in this above the, when they're oh, in the above, Derelict sorry, house. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. sorry. sorry. I was like, oh, wait. No, we can't okay. forget the zombie sharks. No. <laughs> uh, yes, I mean, that was uh, the, the, the... like vine thing I that, thought was
5: very cool. Where like, the he go, they go into a room and the, the the wallpaper is like, you know, like the faded, like vining looking thing. And then they like the characters don't even notice, but like the vines actually start coming to life. Yeah. And you realize it's not I the wallpaper. I mean, like, the, yeah, that was I loved
1: that. The shark yeah. thing is the first crazy thing because the rest is more like, like here's like a little bit that would have been you know cool special effects where Chris goes into a lab and sees a guy like typing at the keyboard and then the man turns his head slowly to look towards the voice there's nothing left of his face raw tissue seeps odd colored fluids a single eyeball is nested tenuously in the ooze something like a mouth recognizable only because of its position opens and groans like that would have been awesome now yeah, yeah. you know it's like the effects are so good on The Walking Dead and they done so many seasons it's kind of like they've done every (laughs) gross zombie permutation Mm -hmm. you can think of but yeah then chris and this is actually a fun moment when chris and jill both fight each other and realize the other is alive is because chris has fallen into a tank full of six zombie sharks and jill's on like comes into the aquarium and sees them inside and has to like fire you know a machine gun at the glass uh to break it. And this is definitely one of those like I mean, we'll we'll let Steve get to this when we're done going through, but I have to assume part of the reason this died was because that would have been way too expensive. Um, yes, yeah, six. And knowing <laughs>
2: not even one, just let's do yeah,
1: six. Six. Uh, I bet that would have been gotten down to one zombie shark down yeah. to. What if we had no zombie? What? if It was just a right. zombie in a tank of water.
3: Um, <laughs> I, I, I just terrified. like that it had, you know, it turns out they can me. swim after yeah. death. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, This is at the point where Wesker is revealed that they need to get an antidote and they're trying to go deeper and deeper to get to the D-Lab. There's a lot of stuff in there here about like key cards and who can go where. I also think it's funny, just old scripts when they kind of date themselves is they go out of their way to describe that Wesker has this gizmo like a Game Boy that has like a (laughs) digital map of the lab on it. (laughs) uh, As though that's like really high tech. And that was also
5: <laughs> that was also resurfaced in the Raccoon City one because, like, they go out of their way to explain what a palm pilot is because the movie takes place in '98. <laughs>
3: that movie also, that yeah. movie also features a great scene where a guy is in a car playing Snake on his yeah. flip phone. Oh, yeah, I yeah.
1: forgot yeah. that. Oh, right. Full yeah. in in on into
3: the time
5: I I'm forgot like, that was a you time. I said it in 2020, and people still probably wouldn't know what a palm pilot was anymore. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, it didn't need it need to be period for this detail.
1: We are going to hit pause right here and pick things up again in the next episode. We'd like to thank our guests, Mike Mendez, Brian Collins, and Chris Dorch. We'd also like to thank everyone at the Chattanooga Film Festival for inviting us to be part of this year's show. You can find us on Twitter at Nevermade Film and Instagram at Best Movies Never Made. We also recommend you check out the Electric Now apps. So you can watch video of our podcast and all the podcasts on the Electric Surge Network. We'd like to thank Bill Ritter and our producers Mark A. Altman and Dean Devlin. Until next time, this is Josh Miller and Steven Scarlatta saying we won't see you at the movies.